The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I wanted to take this opportunity to um, see if there's any questions or comments, descriptions of what you experienced, uh, either in the sitting or the walking, just um, a time for us to have a conversation about what you're noticing. So are there any, any comments or, yeah. And if we'd use the mics for this. Well, I didn't realize that the world is actually very noisy. (laughs) You know, when I open my hearing or, you know, open up and hear all the noises, the car racing, the lawnmower, you know, blowing and, and the rain falling, everything was like so overwhelming. I felt the aversion. Okay, so you noticed that there was that attitude of aversion then. Yes. That's the relationship. So there's what's happening, which is just the sound, and then our mind's relationship to it. And so did you notice how that aversion made you feel? Uh, Kind of like irritated. Uh Uh-huh. So I turned to a quieter street. Okay. And then all I could feel was the rain falling, and I felt very peaceful. So I switched from being irritated to being very peaceful at ease. Uh huh. And the rain was actually soothing. The the sound or the The sound of the the sound of the rain. Uh huh. And then it's just that, and the street is so quiet. Uh huh. You know. So the, the possibility, I mean, this is a beautiful description of how uh, your mind's relationship to the experience creates a very different situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the irritation itself is what's creating the uh, challenge. The sound, we think it's the sound. You know, mm-hmm. We think the sound is what's creating the challenge. But mm-hmm. actually, you know, it's, really, it's really good news that it's not the sound that's creating the challenge because if it were, that, then there would be no hope of having peace or ease in our lives if, if things outside of us could control what happens in here. And it does seem like things outside control what's happen- happening in here. You know, it's like we, we have we, various conditions, you know, that we've you know, uh, practiced or cultivated or uh, ways in which we've uh, come to be familiar with responding to certain things or reacting to certain things, that will be our habit. And so um, we see, we see, so in that, in this just very short space of a walk, you could see this is what it's like when the mind is reacting to the sound and this is what it's like when the mind is not reacting to sound. Um, and the possibility exists to, to uh, 
if in, in, in exploring and being open to, okay, yep, it's their sound and irritation. That's what's happening right now. We see that the irritation is really what's creating the, the unsettledness. It's, pos- right. it's possible to be experiencing the sound of cars and uh, motorcycles and you know, other things, just the, the, the noise without that reactivity. And so um, in this case, it was certain kinds of sounds perhaps or the volume of it that was the trigger for the irritation. But that, um, you know, so seeing the contrast helps to point to that it is in the mind where the relationship is. And fortunately, we can change our minds, you know, that it's possible. So uh, this is the beginning exploration and the beginning is... Not to try to say, oh, oh, okay, oh, there's all this sound and I'm irritated. I should not be irritated with that because it, I know that that's a reaction and I shouldn't have that reaction. We can't just turn our reactions off, mm-hmm. but we can recognize them. We can know them and we can begin to see. It's essentially, um, we begin to see that it's optional uh, struggle, optional suffering in our lives. And as the, as the mind sees the the struggle like that and recognizes, oh, this is the mind's doing. Um, it begins to understand that it doesn't have to do that. So it's a, it's a slow process of the mind beginning to get an education and to let go of the reactivity and move in a different direction. But that, that's a great example of how the mind creates our struggles. Thank you. I came across an old dilapidated house that looked haunted. And I thought, I love old dilapidated houses that look haunted. So did you feel into the, the feeling of that, or did, was it just a thought? Uh, no, no, there, there's always a feeling, right? I mean, it's sort of like mystery and, and, and wonder. A fortunate thing is I've never actually wanted to own an old dilapidated house like that. So Because if I had, then it would have been, there would have been a lot more suffering. I'd go, well, I never able to afford one. I wish I, but there wasn't that. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So, so um, what about that particularly struck you that you chose to describe that? Um, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I did think, wow. Well, you know, if you, if you walk a lot, you come across these things a lot, you, you can have a lot of memory of walks that you've done coming across similar things and the, and the same feeling. So it, it had a little bit of that. It almost connected so me with another time. A sense of resonance uh, I remember with it, the past. I think, uh-huh. Yeah, I remembered another time I'd been outside a house like that, actually, come to think of it, although I can't remember now the specific circumstances. So there was a, there was a kind of almost a perfume around the experience that created a condition of, oh, this is nice, I like this, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I wondered why I liked it. It could be, right? I mean, it's not an obvious good thing. Like some people might like pretty houses or that have good gardens or, or flowers. There, there might have been a very short period of reflection on um, why I like houses like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, well, so I, so I reco- recognizing, yeah, recognizing <laughs> that, I mean, essentially the, that, that point is helpful to recognize that um, we experience things as pleasant or unpleasant not necessarily because in and of themselves they are pleasant or unpleasant, but because we have associations with them. 
And so that's a little bit of what you're talking about. It's like somehow your mind has the association that that's a pleasant experience, seeing that, thinking about it. Other people might not have that experience. And so we begin to recognize, too, that the things that we think of as pleasant, as unpleasant, that we respond to in the world, you know, the sound of of a motorcycle, for example, another, you know, it's like somebody might think of that as pleasant. Somebody else thinks of it as unpleasant. And so we begin to recognize, too, even the pleasant and unpleasantness of our experience is conditioned. It depends on our history. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. As you said, it's conditioned because I, <clears throat> I had this opposite um, example of Yolena. I actually hate walking in the rain. Um, I know some people love it, but I don't know why. I hate it. And so as I came out, I was thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to walk in the rain for half an hour. Um, um, and I really wanted to come back. And, you know, then I made a bargain with myself. And I said, I'm going to walk in the rain for 20 minutes. And then I'll, I'll come and have a cup of tea. And so I was walking in the rain. And I, all I could, kept thinking of was, oh, I know I'm walking in the rain. And I know I have a version for walking in the rain. And I don't like it. And it just came, just kept coming and then after a while I kind of said well what else is here uh-huh yeah and then so I noticed this beautiful tree and I noticed how the roses look almost artificial when they have rain on them uh, and all those kind of like other things and and um, I still wanted to come back but then I said you know this is really an opportunity to walk with discomfort uh, in kind of like an easy situation, like you know, so so I'm going to stay with that discomfort and uh, for 20 minutes, and uh, and see how bad it is. And <laughs> it was actually not that bad to walk in the rain for 20 minutes. Um, and I was glad I walked because I'm kind of claustrophobic here. Um, and I discovered how roses look different in the rain. But really, I really had a strong aversion. So what it sounds like partly what you noticed, I mean, the aversion is, is partly, um, I mean, there is the unpleasantness of being out in the rain, the wet, you know, the, the I, I was walking and, um, you know, the, my pants started getting wet. And uh, so there's just a, a little bit of perhaps unpleasantness, although not too bad in my case, you know, it was just a little bit of dampness. Um, and so the, the, there's that, there's the, the actual experience of the discomfort of being in the rain. And then there's the reaction to it, the not liking of it. And the, um, a lot of the discomfort actually comes from the reaction. So that's a really important thing to recognize that, you know, so yes, there is the objective kind of, you know, cold and wet and damp and, and, um, you know, that kind of thing that, that may be unpleasant, but that largely what we're uh, responding, or the, the uncomfortableness is in the reaction itself. And often the reaction isn't really to the slight unpleasantness of the actual experience. It, and you can check this out. This is, this is, is um, maybe not so obvious, but uh, usually our reactions are more about our idea about something than the actual situation. So uh, the idea that walking in the rain is unpleasant 
is partly what we're reacting to. And so this is a hu- another huge place that we can begin to explore yeah, totally. our minds. That, that's what I experienced. It was not that, you know, I always told myself, I don't like walking in the rain. I don't walk in the rain. I'm not that kind of person. And, you know, I think it probably comes from my parents saying the same thing, or my mother, I can hear say something like this. Oh. But um, the assumption, it was really... It's really an assumption yes. as opposed to my 20 minutes were well, not that miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a great thing to notice. Yeah. And I'm also curious if there's any comments about the sitting or questions about the, this practice in the sitting. Go ahead. I have a question, uh, a little bit kind of in the same lines. Uh, so I think one of the things uh, that I noticed, it, it's also about like focusing on, on like if an experience is not pleasant kind of shifting the attention to something that's more pleasant, like the roses are more pleasant. And, and actually, I, I downloaded an app. It's called Happy Faces, where you constantly, there are like four faces, three kind of angry or sad faces and one happy face, and you have to click on it. And it kind of, it's like a competition. How uh-huh. fast can you do it? Uh-huh. So it's, it's a way they did a lot of research on it, actually. It's uh, constantly like rewiring your mind to look at, good things around you. Uh, instead of habitually moving to the negative. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it helps for you know, people who are kind of giving a public presentation or something. When they see some people are not receptive, they can be concerned. So I'm, I'm kind of a little... Um, I guess my question is that I feel like it also kind of uh, reinforces the aversion <laughs> for the angry faces. I don't know if that's true, so... I'm curious, what do you think about it? Well, so what, what the, this practice that we're exploring today is about recognizing and becoming aware of what's happening in our minds. And so the reinforcement of aversion when we experience something unpleasant generally happens when we're uh, not clearly knowing, oh, there's something unpleasant and I don't like it. I want it to go away. You know, so when we, when we don't recognize that aversion, that's when the aversion gets strengthened. And so if you're clicking on the, uh, the angry faces or noticing the angry faces, faces, well, but you said there's the, ha- the angry faces too, you know. Yeah, so. and you avoid that. Oh, yeah. I see. You um, only click on the happy face oh, I again see. and again. So are you thinking that that cult strengthens the aversion? I, because I, I, you're I'm thinking that it definitely kind of helps the, 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 uh, the shifting of the attention uh, in situations where it's helpful. But I'm curious, does it actually reinforce the aversion? Well, it depends, it depends on whether the motivation for... Uh, clicking on the, ha- angry, the happy faces is to avoid something else. If it's a pushing away, then, and, and this happens in our practice too, if we're, you know, doing practice, and uh, in this case, it sounds like that the, the recognition of the roses, what else is here? That was the question. It wasn't like, I hate this, let me find something else to pay attention to to avoid that. It was more, what else is here? Oh, the roses, look at that. That doesn't cultivate the aversion. But if it was like, oh, I hate this, you know, I hate this rain, and uh, uh, let me find something else to pay attention to, you know, if it's that kind of way that you're shifting the attention, then I would say, yes, it's cultivating that. You know, how do I avoid this and pay attention to something pleasant? But so it really depends on what's happening in your mind. And this is what we're practicing today, to watch and see what's, what's going on. Thank you. Yeah, behind you. And then um, back to Diane. Yeah. Um, so I was really interested um, 
and excited about what you said earlier about how we um, cultivate the conditions for our own little corner of our world to make it safe and, and livable. And um, I know we talk about the near, um, the near enemy. I'm interested in the near allies. And so when I create <laughs> the conditions to get enough sleep, to have a healthy diet, to exercise, I'm going to add a couple to mine that are, I know are, are conditioned, but um, to use a bicycle and not a car because I believe in global warming. Um, I know that, and, and I, I create my little safe corner of the world because I, from the place of mindfulness, my heart opens and it knows that these are more yes. nourishing than yes. getting one hour of sleep and eating fast food. and yes, not so, so that's acting out of wisdom and compassion rather than acting out of aversion. And so our whole daily life practice this week is how to, for me, how to um, fuse these two things of allowing and acting. And yes. so as I was on my walk, the leaf blower um, goes. And so I know the whole history, but... Um, it's a representation and the cars in, in relative um, perspective of our, our human disrelation with the planet and, and the threat to our survival. And I don't think that's just the thought. I know it's a conditioned thought and I have my bias, but every time I get quiet and live, those moments, not just an aversion for that machine, because one um, response could have been, I wanted to tackle the guy and throw it in the trash, which I wouldn't do. <laughs> uh, a, a, more, a little less aversion was to go up to him and give him a piece of paper that I've translated into Spanish to tell him how detrimental it is to him, the environment, the planet, and how it represents everything that's wrong. But then the more subtle way is to see my aversion, to see my self-righteousness, and to maybe get settled and pause and then come at the problem from a more balanced to, to act in the world, but not from my judgment and my anger. Exactly. And, and then and there'll, maybe there'll be a different response. But I'm still going to go want to and try to change the world and make my corner more wholesome. Well, the, that, the, this is the difference of, you know, compassionate action versus reactive action. And the more we practice, the more we feel into what's compassionate. And it's like you, you described it. It's like you can feel that this direction is more wholesome. You feel that this direction is more contracted. And so we, we, we begin to honor and trust the actions that lead us in that direction. Um, there was something else that came into my mind. Um, oh, one thing that I thought you were going to say, which you didn't, was that... Um, so if you're really mindful and you understand the context and the conditions around the leaf blower and the person who's using the leaf blower, um, you know, there's going to be, there, there's, there's, there's going to be a whole host of things that arise in the heart and mind around it. One is that the whole conditions of the way our society and culture have been put together, that leaf blowers even exist. You know, it's like, that's that's one thread, and the 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 suffering of the overuse of resources. I mean, that can can come into that moment, right? In that moment of hearing that, the the, the larger context creates a a sense of ache of the heart around that, and so um, you know, so that opening to that ache. It's not it's not that with mindfulness, it sudden, suddenly everything becomes oh you know sweetness and light. It's we open to the suffering, we open to the struggle of the world, and so there's that, you know that that the the recognizing the context of what's happening, the heart is touched and and aches, and that's what motivates us to act. You know that 
touching into that motivates us to act, not from reactivity, but because of we recognize this way lies suffering. So the, the, that's where, the, that's where the, the response comes from. The, the other small thing I wanted to add is when I cultivate my own little safe corner of the world, I'm starting to do it from a perspective, even though I sleep, well and exercise and eat i'm still going to get old and i that won't and yes. that will fall apart <laughs> yes. but but with the knowledge of that i can do, i can still i can still create that safety with the awareness that it's impermanent and that it's not going to and and not necessarily under control all the time yeah yep uh and diane first and then into the front here so um i uh, i found the walking outside i i i was really pleased the way I felt the motion of, of walking and the momentum and and um, and and then kind of I had to chuckle at myself because I've always believed in the concept of an inertia that a body in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon and there's a low-hanging tree branch that made contact with the top of my umbrella and then pretty soon my umbrella was back there somewhere and and I was still moving forward and, <laughs> and the rain came down on, on me and uh, and so it was just like challenging the assumption that I had that I was going to continue that forward motion <laughs> and it was just kind of a moment of humor <laughs> thank you and then here and maybe just one or two more if there's a couple more yeah Is that on even? So when it's there we on, go. is yeah. it too loud? No, I no, noticed it was so loud. The sensation of awareness, it, it's a sensation. It, and it, it in itself is neutral. But when it contacts the senses, becomes positive or negative kind of based on the perceived helpfulness or threat that that it comes so so a loud noise you know for tens of thousands of years could mean threat or a soft noise could mean you know something else wonderful So, so so there's a sense of wanting to go deeper and and that sense of wanting to go deeper seems to lead to to a greater awareness, and and that awareness takes me away from the senses, from from that. And I, I've always had a kind of a trust for the, this that type of sensation. But, but I that that deepening and aware, awareness of that sensation seems to lead somewhere else, or, or to something else. And, um, but whether it's a concentrative practice or this more broad practice, that, that place or that sensation seems to be the same. So a couple of thoughts about what you, you said. Um, so yes, the, the, um, there's the experience of awareness and it can have a sense, a felt sense to it. And it is neutral. Um, 
it's really helpful to recognize the difference that, you know, things that come in through our senses can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. You know, there can be neutral experience coming in through our senses as well. But the difference between the mind that is aware and the experience itself, that the, the awareness itself is a more neutral quality, but in a way that neutral quality of awareness has a gravitational pull to it. There's something beautiful about it that we can begin to touch into, and so we can uh, begin to hover in that space. Um, uh, we, the, I would say a concentration practice would more move into that space and it would recede from the sense world. Uh, in this practice, we're exploring the possibility, partly because, um, you know, in this, in this week in particular, I'm in, uh, exploring daily life practice. And if you recede into that place uh, removed from the senses, it's not going to be so easy to drive your car and to make your breakfast. And to, um, so the, the, what we're exploring here is the possibility to stay in touch with that deep place of awareness and know what's happening. So it's, it's this, you know, we're aware of both at the same time. We can really be in touch with that very intimate sense of knowing and, and awareness, that place that you uh, describe, and what's happening so that, that uh, we can navigate the world with that place of awareness right there. It, we don't have to be removed from the world in order to be touching into that. So that's what we're exploring today in a way that, you know, being, you know, cultivating the capacity to recognize the awareness and what's known. And the more stable the awareness gets, uh, the more um, understanding we have and the more stability the mind has. So those are just a few, a few thoughts on what you shared. Thank you. So, um, Let's do another sitting.